Thank you, Shona. Keep that open in front of you and rejoice in how blessed you are this morning to have both somebody who's Scottish reading the Bible passages and now a Scottish preacher. Um, I'm not sure it gets uh, much better than that. Well, we'll see, won't we? We'll see. Um, as we come to look at this, let, let me ask, have you ever been uh, out with family or friends uh, to a place uh, that, uh, that you don't know? And before you explore, someone very sensible, usually a mum in my experience, will say, look, if we're separated, meet here. Uh, there, there's one place, uh, Fudge Kitchen in Cambridge. Uh, if we're separated, uh, meet here. Uh, this is where we'll find each other. It's good to have a marker like that, isn't it? And uh, we're partway through this little series, uh, Any Given Sunday. And we're thinking about ordinary things that God tells us to do as Christians. Gathering. Remember we thought about that. Preaching. Baptism. Uh, the Lord's Supper. And if you've not thought about it in this way, there's a sense in which these are God's location markers. If you ever feel a bit lost, if you ever feel a bit separated or distant from God, he says, come to these things and I will be found by you. They're ordinary means of grace where Jesus is communicated to us. Two weeks ago, we began thinking about baptism, if you were here. And I said, we come back to the question, why do we baptize infants? And why do we baptize babies? Uh, within our church family, we've already said this, within our church families, we have uh, different views on this. Uh, and we respect that. We respect the consciences of parents. We're not going to force one way or the other. But I wanted to give part of the reason why, as a church, we think it is not only a good thing to do, but something that the Bible encourages. Now, even that might feel controversial. Uh, I realize that. So good. You're feeling, you're feeling very restrained already this morning. Uh, there's, no, there's no gasps yet uh, as we talk about it. But I know that might feel controversial. A Baptist uh, friend of mine, he, he said in his church growing up, they used to have a little leaflet up the back of church. That on the front, it said, what the Bible says about infant baptism. And you would open it up and it would be blank inside. It was just empty. Uh, and that was, that was the real joke they had uh, in their church. Or he also told me being at a, a conference where, again, it was a, a Baptist preacher said, look, there's space for different views. You Anglicans and you Presbyterians with your infant baptism, there's space for you to do it your way while we will do it the Lord's way. Um, <laughs> And I get you could do those jokes the other way around as well. And it's fun. In a, in a church family, we can talk about these things. There's different views on this. But it is important that we think about it a little bit as well. And that's, uh, that's what we're, we're going to do uh, this morning. Um, uh, I'm going to try and give us like, three pillars to rest the answer on. And they may seem disconnected at first, but they'll, they'll build together. But why do we baptize infants? Why do we baptize babies? Here's the, first, here's the first part of the answer. Because every Christian has Abraham for a father. Now, come to that passage in Romans chapter 4, if you got it, page 1131. 
I think it was. And if you're finding your way back there, I don't know if you've ever watched the BBC series, Who Do You Think You Are? Uh, people are fascinated with their ancestors, aren't they? If you watch that program, they discover all sorts of things and they'll say, I didn't know I, I, didn't know I was related to them or someone like that. I didn't know that's where I came from. Sometimes it, it really begins to reshape who, th- who they think they are now. In case you're wondering, I'm not related to Sweeney Todd, if you've ever heard of that historical character. Yeah, yeah, I'm, maybe I am. I'm not, I'm not. Um, but look, come to this passage and you see what Paul is saying in verse 1. What shall we say? He's writing to Christians. What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? And you might think he's only talking about Jewish people there. You think, David, I'm, I'm not Jewish. I'm not, I'm not part of that group of people. But by verses 11 and 12, he's going to say, Abraham is the father of everyone who has genuine faith in God, whether Jewish background or Gentile background. If you're my kind of age and you grew up going to Sunday school, you might remember the song uh, like this that I used to sing. I won't sing it for us, but the lines were, Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. And Paul would say, that's right, if you're a Christian. Maybe you've never thought about this before. But the Bible is saying to you this morning, Christian, you are deeply connected to someone you have never met. Every Christian has Abraham for a father. You're part of that family. And God says it's important, we think, in this family way. That's the first thing. Every Christian has Abraham for a father. We're in that family. Here's the second thing, and this is the longest bit, and it's this, look, Abraham shows what a real relationship with God looks like. Paul is writing with a view to people who are saying, look, if you want to be friends with God, and one of the words he'll use in this passage is justified, which kind of means to be in the right, you can be friends with God, you're in the right with God, you've been justified. Um, there are things you need to do. That's, he's writing with a view to people who are saying that. There are things you need to do if you want to be friends with God. Uh, that's what he's saying in verse 2 when it talks about this idea of being justified by works. What you do. It's this idea that God thinks you can, and uh, God thinks you can and expects you to contribute something. Now, this idea of justification that you know how that works. Let me try and give you a way into thinking about it, of this friendship being secured by what you do. So uh, imagine this, you, you get to know someone and you, you, hope, you hope you'll be friends. Um, maybe you've met them, got to know them, and you invite them round. And when they're round in your house, you ask, uh, would you like a cup of tea? It's a fair enough thing to say. And they say, well, what kind of tea have you got? And as soon as you hear that, you're nervous because you know that's not a casual question. You're in Cambridge, right? When someone says, what kind of 
tea have you got? It's not a casual question. They are asking, are you the kind of person who only has Tesco own brand, English breakfast? Are you, are you one of those people? But at that point, you say, we have Earl Grey and peppermint, a variety of fruit teas, Redbush, and of course, Yorkshire. Um, and they say, oh, good, I'll have Yorkshire. <laughs> and you're justified. You're justified. Those of you who are younger, grown-ups are so weird, aren't they, that this would even be an issue, that this would even be an issue, but you're justified, you're in the right. You think about it this way, there, there was enough in your cupboard to make you okay. We're friends, we can be friends now. So here's the question, if you make the link back to Romans and what Paul's saying, here's the question, do you become friends with God because you've got enough in your cupboard? You've done enough. You've got enough. And Paul says, no. That's what Paul is saying in Romans. He's saying, no. Our father Abraham shows us what a real relationship with God looks like, and it's not like that. Verse 3 in Romans, he's quoting from Genesis 15, and he says this, look, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. When it came to being friends with God, He's saying, look, Abraham had nothing in the cupboard. It's completely blank for anything that could make him friends with God. Nothing in the cupboard. But God gave him as a gift a righteousness, a being rightness that came from a different cupboard. Didn't belong to Abraham at all. It gave it to him, said, I'll make you right. God justified him. He didn't do anything to earn it. Justification by faith. It came that way. How can God do that? How can God just say that? How, how, can, God, how can God say someone who's done lots of wrong things is in the right? Well, look, Paul begins to give us the answers, doesn't he? Uh, Paul says the rest of the Bible talks about this kind of thing. And just have a look at down at verses 7 and 8 in Romans 4, if you've got the Bible open in front of you. Hear what Paul says. Look, blessed are those, this is David in the Old Testament said that, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. You know that feeling, don't you? Somebody says, with the stuff you keep doing wrong, how, how many times are you going to do this? How many times have you done that? And you just feel wretched because, you know, I, I seem to keep doing this. Those of you who are, who are maybe younger, your parents have said that to you. How many times are you going to do this? When will you ever learn? Those of us who are older, maybe we've grown up with parents saying that, and to be told there's a God in heaven who says, I will not count them. They won't be counted by me. I'll forgive you. I'll be wiped clean. Now here's what Paul's saying. To be in the right with God, you can't do something for God. God needs to do something for you, forgive you, cut off the problem of your sin. 
That's what he's offering. But Luke, what about circumcision? That's the question in verse 9. If you see that in front of you, did Abraham have to be circumcised in order to get this? Was that the condition? Did he have to do that first? Was that the order? Look, which came first? Was it faith or was it circumcision? Was it faith or obedience? Was it faith or the sign? At verse 10, did he get this righteousness after he was circumcised or before? Now you see the answer. It was not after. It was before he'd even done that. He was justified, made friends with God before he was even circumcised. You become friends with God as a free gift received by faith. And Paul's point is, look, Abraham's the father of everyone who has faith just like him. Whether a circumcised Jewish person who puts their faith in Jesus or an uncircumcised Gentile person who puts their faith in Jesus. So what was the point of circumcision? Again, I know this is a bit of hard work, so stick with it. Verse 11, just follow Paul's argument through. Verse 11, here's what he tells us. He received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness he already had, in effect, by faith. A sign. Remember two weeks ago we said about these things, God's picture language. A seal, God's promise, his pledge. A little while back, we had a, a wedding invitation. Came in an envelope with this kind of thing on the back. Have you ever had one of those? Just the, the wax uh, kind of seal on it, and there's an imprint on it. These, I love it. I love those kind of things. These days, those things are mainly decoration, aren't they? In the past, though, you will know this, important documents would have a seal at the bottom of them, and, and the wax would, would bear the imprint of the author, and the, the purpose of it, it was their pledge, their guarantee. Everything offered inside this envelope, everything offered in this document, I will do as long as the requirements are fulfilled. And I'm putting my seal on it. You understand, God was saying to Abraham, Abraham, if you will turn from your works, if you will turn from just trusting in your own ways to be right and put your faith in me alone, I promise I will do everything needed to cut off all your sin and make you friends with me. And for the days when you doubt, I'm going to put my seal on your body. It's my pledge to you. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news, justification by faith alone. All your sins forgiven through trusting him. And look, here's the Bible story. If you've, if you've never thought about it this way before, God's covenant promise with Abraham and his family, fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. He's the one who makes it possible, who fulfills God's promise. 
and then extended to us, Jews and Gentiles that make up the church. That's the way the story of the Bible goes. The covenant made to Abraham, fulfilled in Jesus, extended to us, as we put our faith in Jesus, we are brought into this covenant promise family. That's who we are. If someone says, you can think about it this way, if someone says, look, how can I be right with God? I've been hearing about him, and I, I believe it's true. How can I be right with God? We don't say, well, I hope nobody ever says this, or you hear this. You don't say you need to come to church enough to be made right with God. And we don't say you need to get those indecent videos off your smartphone first in order to become friends with God. We don't say you need to be circumcised or baptized in order to be right with God. No, we say, do what Abraham did. Do what Abraham did. Turn from your own works. Turn from trying to make yourself okay. And put your faith in God's saving promise. Then let his gracious word shape how you live, how you speak, what you look at on your phone. But that's the order for a right relationship with God. Now, it's faith first, then obedience, then the actions. Now, you might be thinking when you hear that, okay, David, this was meant to be a sermon where you're going to explain why infant baptism is a good thing. This sounds like you're saying the opposite to that. Um, so here's, here's the last thing. Um, why, why do we baptize babies? Here's the third thing, because Abraham sets the pattern for Christian families. Come back to Genesis 17, if you would. Um, it's page 17 in our Bibles. If only every chapter worked like that, it'd be easy to find, wouldn't it? Genesis 17, page 17. And we'll pick it up in verse 11. Well done for bearing with this. Quite, quite a bit of work looking at these passages carefully. God's speaking to Abraham, and he says to him in verse 11, you are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner. Those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is an everlasting covenant. God's saying to Abraham, our father in the faith, Abraham, you've put your faith in me, and I want you to have the sign and seal of that. And I also want you to give that sign to your children. Now, I think you can imagine Abraham saying, but Lord, they don't love you yet. I've no idea if they'll put their faith in you. Are you sure you want me to give them the sign? What's going on? Well, let me suggest what we're being shown is that God deals with us as connected people as families, as households, Christian parents, God does not view our children as independent islands left to their own devices, 
but as people deeply connected in their families. He's saying to Abraham, the children within your household, they will live where you live. They will speak the language that you speak. They will eat the food you eat. And I want them to come to know me like you. And I want you to know, Abraham, I am pledging myself to your children as well. That if, like you, your children will turn from their own works and put their trust in me, I will forgive all their sin. And I want you to give them the sign. And would you notice the purpose of the sign is exactly the same for them as it was for Abraham. It wasn't just a marker of being Jewish. It's a sign of the everlasting covenant they were to have. So imagine, if you would, a young adult... Uh, no church background, comes to Christ Church. And they're coming for a while, and they want to know God, and they ask, what should I do? We could say, do what Abraham did. Put your faith in God. And sometime later, we say, now, come to the waters of baptism. We don't get out a knife for them. We say, come to the waters of baptism. Remember last time, Paul writing to the Colossians in chapter 2, he says, in him you were circumcised. Circumcision is still a thing for Christians, but he puts it like this. In him you were circumcised, having been buried with him in baptism. What circumcision was then, Paul says, baptism is now. It's the sign and seal of the covenant. So we say, come to the waters of baptism. Now, this person grows, gets married, has the first child, and says, what should I do with my child? And I think I want to say, do what your father Abraham did. Give your children the sign of God's promise. And as they grow, tell them, if they will trust Jesus alone, he will forgive all their sin. And when they say, will God really do that for me? Tell them, God has put his seal upon you. He has pledged himself to you and signed it in your baptism. Does the sign save them? No. Does the sign make them a Christian? No. Does the sign matter? Yes. It says to them, God includes you in these covenant promises. You are part of this covenant community. These blessings are offered to you here. And again, look, that's why people are baptized within the church family. They're being officially included in this covenant family with those blessings offered to them. Uh, lots more, I'd like to say, three pillars to rest our thinking on. As we finish, uh, do you know this picture? Have you seen this picture before? If you look at it, what, what do you see? Uh, some people look at it, and what they see is, is an old lady. Some people look at it, and what they see is a young lady. You, you see that? Maybe you can see them both. Maybe you can only see one, and you'll just swear blind. There isn't another one. But you, you know that picture? There... Depending on how you look at it, there's an old lady there or there's a young lady there. 
The reason for putting it up, I, I think that's been my experience with looking at baptism in the Bible. A verse I thought I said one thing, I think you can see it another way. Look, here's one, and there's lots we could look at. Let, let me pop this up on the screen. This next verse. Here's Peter on the day of Pentecost, urging the crowds to put their faith in Jesus. And he says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of uh, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look, what do you see in that verse? It seems like uh, repentance first, then baptism. There's the order there. But then Peter adds, do you notice, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't know anyone who says Christians only receive the Holy Spirit after they've been baptized. Uh, I don't think this is a strict order, but a package. These things come together. And he's speaking to adults who are hearing about Jesus for the first time. But then he adds this. Do you notice it at the end? The promise is for you and your children. And I think that sounds very much like the shape God gave to Abraham. We're in Abraham's family. Our friendship with God is through faith in Jesus alone. And God gives a wonderful sign and seal of his promise. And I think he includes our children in receiving the sign of that pledge. I imagine there's lots of questions from that. Uh, two weeks ago, when we began to talk about baptism, there was lots of wonderful conversations. I hope there's more. I think we're going to make some time for questions after one evening service in a few weeks' time. But just as we come into land, wherever you land in the waters of baptism, let me put it that way, whether you, you feel you land in the shallow end of the waters or, or the deep end and you really think that, as a church family, we really don't want to fall out over these things. But I hope you see the gift your baptism is. What it communicates is not just forgiveness in an abstract way, but the Lord Jesus himself. You can find him here. If you trust Jesus and you're not yet baptized, God does not want you to think you have to be good enough for this. He wants to give you the sign and seal that trusting the Lord Jesus, he is good enough for you. The musicians are going to come back up and we're going to sing again in a moment. But let me lead us in a prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what is signed and sealed to us in our baptism that you are able to and want to wash us clean. And as we think about these things, we pray it would do our hearts good and comfort and encourage us. Amen. Uh, before we come to the Lord's table, we're going to lift our voices in praise to God. Our, our next song that speaks really in these kind of ways to us, uh, what is most important about us is what God says to us and about us. So as the music begins, let's stand and sing. <laughs>